0: This is the History of the World Podcast with me Chris Hasler And this is Volume 2 The Ancient World Episode 32 The Chavin Culture Of the podcast is the Chavin. It was a culture which emerged in the lands of the modern country of Peru and linked the tribes of the coast to the tribes of the mountains. It existed sometime after 1250 BCE and lasted until around 200 BCE. That's not to say that it was the first culture of Peru. So let's create a timeline of those Peruvian lands from the Neolithic period through to the Chavin period. These lands appeared to be popular throughout human occupation of South America. With the Andes mountains being so close to the coast, many waterways existed, therefore creating fertile land and easy irrigation opportunities. These peoples were more reliant on the resources of the sea than some other ancient cultures. Crops such as cotton and gourds were common in this area, and these two crops could be used together for the benefit of gathering other resources, as studies have revealed that it is very likely that after the contents of the gourds were eaten that the hollow shell would be perfect when used alongside the cotton or plant fibre fishing nets as a float so the prehistoric people of Peruvian lands would have become very successful fishermen. Last week, we speculated about the possibility of the Olmec Pyramid construction being influenced by Egyptian pyramid building. What has been uncovered in South America will surely influence any opinion on this subject. Great buildings resembling pyramids were discovered in the desert lands adjacent to the Supe River Valley, much in the same way that the Egyptians built their pyramids in the desert lands adjacent to the Nile River Valley. The ancient settlement that was discovered here is called Karao, and the civilization who inhabited Karao are the North de Chico. The first major construction at this site may have been in around 2600 BCE, and this was near enough contemporary to the ancient pyramid builders of Egypt. However, the North Tichiko culture may have been active in this area as early as 3500 BCE. So if anything, construction techniques would have developed in this area of the world at the time, and if not earlier, than in the Near East. One of the most interesting aspects of the pyramids of the North Tichiko is the fact that plant fibres were among the masonry. Some have speculated that this could be the earliest evidence of earthquake engineering that we have stumbled across. The Peruvian coastline is parallel with the convergence of the Nazca and South American tectonic plates, and this lends itself to being an area of regular earthquakes. It also suggests that constructions dated earlier than 2600 BCE, are not known because materials were probably reused in the earthquake proof reconstructions, with the plant fibers acting as shock absorbers. 20 miles south of Corral, an archeological site called Bandarilla seems to give us some definite evidence of large scale construction before Corral. Sunken circular plazas and a monument which assumes a shape closer to the Mastaba tombs of Egypt can be dated as far back as 3200 BCE. Another site much further north called Warikanga is put forward as the earliest of the Norte Chico culture sites and dates back to 3500 BCE. We can get some more clues about the Nortichiko thought processes when examining the scant discoveries at Warikanga. The presence of sacks made from plant fibres means that the Nortichiko understood the value of the tensile strength of such fibres and it is likely that they used these net sacks referred to as shikra bags to transport material such as stones and rocks used to construct monuments and buildings. It is likely to be this understanding of tensile strength that led to Norte Chico experimenting with plant fibres alongside their masonry to prevent buildings collapsing during earthquakes. Aspero is yet another site of significance with the Norte Chico culture and has been described as a busy fishing community with evidence of nets and fish hooks wooden bowls and clay figurines have also been excavated from this site. Notable, but not too surprising. Another notable discovery made at Norte Chico sites are bone flutes, which we have seen before in the Neolithic cultures of Europe. This has led to a rather poetic notion of the Norte Chico being people more likely to make music as opposed to war no military buildings or defences, and no warrior weaponry exists at the Norte Chico sites. Towards the end of the 3rd millennium BCE, and much further south, quite near to the modern Peruvian capital of Lima, a discovery was made at the foot of the Andes Mountains, at a site called Buena Vista. The site has been determined by experts to be an archaeoastronomical site in the shape of an observatory. So here we have yet another human desire for large-scale construction in honour of the objects of the sky. Pockets of societies and cultures were popping up all over the place in the Americas. The Mosna River has carved a path through the middle of the Andes mountain range and small clearings of fertile land provided Good living conditions for the people who settled there. One such clearing is suggested to have been occupied by 3000 BCE, but it would be what it would become in later millenniums that would capture the interest of archaeologists. The site has come to be known as Chabin de Huantar, and people still live in the area of this archaeological site to this day. However, Archaeologists were able to remove the last residence still living upon the area that is of ancient archaeological significance sometime in the middle of the 20th century. The site is remote and in need of care to preserve its history to this day with very little in the way of funding available. However the site must have prospered in ancient times as it became an important local centre by 1500 BCE. By 1000 BCE, it is believed that the centre became an influential centre, with the Chavin culture beginning to reach out to other local population centres who may have seen the site of Chavin de Huantar as a place of pilgrimage. The Temple At the site of Chavin de Huantar, we can discover a sunken circular plaza not unlike the ones discovered at the Norte Chico sites, further south. The old temple was built in a U-shape around the circular plaza from the north side, around the west side and to the south side, leaving the east-facing side open. The temple may have been built on top of an existing temple. The old temple edifice contained stairways and passageways. Stone monuments and obelisks were contained inside, many of which had been carefully carved with depictions of animals and anthropomorphic mythical creatures. I feel sure that there's no need for me to point out that anthropomorphic imagery is something that is very common at prehistoric and ancient sites globally. We can see plenty of carvings that demonstrate feline creatures and creatures which are a mixture of feline and human. One of the feline human figures is holding a san Pedro Cactus Some have speculated that the layout of the old temple mimics that of the layouts of the earlier casma culture which existed from the 4th millennium BCE in a similar area of Peru A person standing in the center of the sunken circular plaza would be able to observe the sunrise on the winter solstice emerge over a particular peak of the tall mountainous terrain to the east. Irrigation channels were built throughout the ceremonial centre which would allow the water from the Mosna River to roar through the complex and drain away preventing flooding. The image of the San Pedro cactus may point towards a shamanic culture. In some isolated pockets of Peruvian societies, the consumption of the San Pedro cactus juice is used as a ceremonial hallucinogenic. Those who consume the juice experience light sensitivity that may have added to the experience of the ancient pilgrimages to the ceremonial centre of Chabín de Huantar. It must have been a unique life experience for ancient people to visit this site and it is this that may help us to understand how powerful all prehistoric and ancient ceremonial centres may have been. If something has a profound effect on the human senses, it is surely something that an individual would not forget. Experts suggest a date of around 900 BCE when we can see definite evidence of a cultural spread outwards from the ceremonial centre of Chabin The artwork at the site, as carved into the monoliths and obelisks, deserves further investigation into its mysterious nature. You may remember that last week we made mention of the feline apex predator of Mesoamerica and South America, the jaguar, being a significant creature in the ceremonial observances of the Olmecs. The same is thought of the Chabin culture and is evident by the carvings made in stone panels at the site. In fact we could be once again looking at a type of wear jaguar that may have been a deity of the Chabin. Venturing into the passageways of the temple at Chabin de Huantar gives us even more of mystery as the passageways do not appear to have had a practical purpose. It is a pitch black dark labyrinth which ultimately leads to a small room where a monolithic monument is lit up by a small amount of natural light from the top of the enclosed room. Once again we see a fearsome looking fanged were jaguar creature carved into the monolith. Some experts claim that this whole setup could likely be part of a ceremonial ritual where individuals were invited into this disorientating labyrinth to ultimately be led to the monolithic room. Imagine how much of a life-changing experience this could have been if individuals were made to drink hallucinogenic San Pedro cactus juice before making the journey. The shamanic individuals of this society would have been the only people who could have provided any sensible accord of what was happening to the native pilgrims who believed that supernatural forces had to be at play. El Lanzón literally translates from Spanish into English as the Lance and it is the name of the granite monolith within the temple building at Jabin de Huantar simply due to its shape. The jaguar deity depicted on its surface would display a hairstyle which would ultimately end in the heads of snakes. The monolith stood at 45 meters in height and visitors would have been able to walk in a circle around the stone. It is believed to have been put in place at a similar time to the construction of a new temple at the same site, so the people of Chabinderwandar continued to develop the ceremonial centre as the influence of the centre spread further and further outwards as the first millennium BCE progressed. On the walls of the temple, one could find the three-dimensional stone heads of a human head with fanged teeth, much like the were-jaguar. So this also seems to demonstrate an anthropomorphic creature. The nostrils significantly are carved to demonstrate a stream emerging downwards from them, which has been popularly translated as mucus excretion, caused by the inhaling of material such as tobacco, through the nostril. This kind of behaviour is also known to have hallucinogenic side effects, so it does all seem to point towards a common ceremonial practice and a spiritual experience created by those who were in control of the site. John Rick, who is a professor of anthropology at Stanford University at California, led a team to the site of Chabindewantar back in 2001, and he made a fascinating discovery. 20 large strombus sea snail shells, which had been intricately carved and deliberately modified, were discovered deposited in a certain area of the complex. It was clear by the modification that the intention was to turn the shell into a musical instrument. The carvings symbolised the ceremonial purpose of the objects, and when played, they could produce a wall of resonating sound. So with all of this in mind, the unnerving roar of the strombus shell musical instruments, the consumption of San Pedro cactus juice and the snorting of tobacco, the disorientating journey through a pitch black dark labyrinth before ultimately being confronted by a ferocious jaguar deity carved into a huge monolith under an eerie light. This was an assault on the senses which would have been quite unavailable anywhere else and believed to be an essential experience for the people of ancient Peruvian lands for miles around. The modern day capital of Peru is Lima and Lima is the home of the National Museum of Archaeology, Anthropology and History of Peru. A visit to this museum would enable you to see the Teo Obelisk. The Teo Obelisk was transported from the archaeological site of Chavinduanta where it was once stood in the centre of the sunken circular plaza. The imagery carved into the granite obelisk deserves further consideration. We can see images of chilli peppers, manioc and peanuts as well as the images of snakes and caimans and this points towards a much more Amazonian biodiversity than an Andean one. So there must have been some kind of cultural divergence. Maybe the people of the Amazon were an influential force on the ceremonial site at Chabinduantar. Or maybe the Chabin mythology was founded on the belief system based around the apex predators of the Amazon. We may never know the truth, but it is a very interesting debate. By and large the temple constructions at Chavin de Huandar appear to be built using undressed stone, and in some cases undressed stone and an earthy mortar. One interesting aspect of the construction approaches of both the Chavin and the Olmecs is the fact that they were initially building platforms as a foundation for their buildings. Outreach Most of the fascinating stuff about the Chabin culture centres around the temple complex at Chabin de Huantar and the ritual which would have taken place there. Such are the connections between the artwork and objects excavated and discovered that when compared to modern practices, we can draw conclusions that paint a very vivid picture of the kind of human experiences that could take place here and why it may have been held in such high regard by anybody in any kind of proximity. Previous to the emergence of Chabin de Huantar as a major centre of religious pilgrimage, there is evidence of other ceremonial centres elsewhere in modern Peruvian lands. However, it seems as if these other ceremonial centres declined and disappeared as the centre at Jabindewandar grew in stature. In fact, it seems as if the priesthood of Jabindewandar was regarded as the power of the region with no real evidence of a monarchy. The fact that there have been no military defences or weapons discovered in the area of the Jabin culture may have been the reason why the necessity for powerful monarchs was unnecessary. It seems as if there was no threat of war among the societies within the cultural region. Those individuals who didn't reside in and around the temple complex would have been the people that tended the agricultural land on the fringes of the site, and so therefore we do have some form of class-based society, and this is likely to have been necessary as speculation, speculation, states that there could have been around 3,000 people living at the site at its peak, which would have been after the center of religious practice moved to the cultural hub of Huántar in around 900 BCE. It would be in around the year 500 BCE that the people of Huántar would enhance the U-shaped old temple built around the circular plaza and build the new temple and this would lead to the site being the home of several hundred to several thousand. Even larger crowds of people would be welcome to join the pilgrimages at the improved facility. Agricultural practices improved at the site with evidence of advances in maize cultivation and also in the domestication of the llama. Expert weavers would have resided at the site and the presence of foreign materials suggests that a healthy trade network had been established in and around the ever-increasing Chabin area of influence. Lama hair is associated with weaving but lava meat may have been cured and dried to preserve it for later consumption. Quechua is one of the pre-Columbian languages of Peruvian lands. And the Quechuan word for this dried meat is ch'arki, and this is the very word that has transitioned into the modern English language as jerky. So even in modern language, we can find links back to this cultural region of the world. One of the subjects that we discussed briefly during Volume 1 was the advances in metallurgy in South America. There is reason to believe during studies of the chemical compositions of ice cores from the Andes region of Bolivia that smelting techniques could have developed during the time of the Chabin. Some scholars believe that the people of Bolivia had begun to smelt copper maybe in around 700 BCE, although this is indirect analysis and as such could be contested. It is interesting to note that the Chabin appear to have been hammering and cutting gold sometime after 700 BCE. A nose ornament currently housed in the Cleveland Museum of Art in Ohio, United States was discovered at Chabin de Huantar and depicts two ornate serpent heads which may link to the snake imagery that could have developed from the Amazonian predator links in Chabin artwork. It is believed that a method of soldering would have also been used in the metalworking at this site. If we map out the places where Chavin culture objects have been discovered then we can establish an area where the Chavin culture was dominant and then a wider area where the Chavin culture was influential. To the north the Chavin would extend as far as the modern coastal city of Trujillo with influence extending as far north as the modern Ecuadorian border. Heading southwards, Chabin culture was dominant as far as the modern Peruvian capital city of Lima, with influence spreading down to and beyond the Paracas Peninsula. Paracas. As Chabin influence spread southwards, it would encounter another culture which was making its own advances, namely, the Paracas culture. The discovery of this culture can be accredited to a Peruvian archaeologist called Julio Cesar Teo. Teo was born in the Huarachiri province of Peru in 1880. Interestingly, Teo was born in the Andes mountains where the Quechuan language was still well known. Teo was encouraged to study in the capital city of Lima and gain university qualifications in medicine. As a man in his thirties, Teo would go to Harvard and gain qualifications in anthropology. He would return to Peru during the 1910s and he discovered the famous obelisk at Chavin de Huantar that we mentioned earlier in the podcast, and yes, it was named the Teo Obelisk in his honour. Much in the way of the archaeological discoveries of the ancient history of Peru are thanks to Teo and the teams that he led and, in turn, inspired. It is thanks to the work of Teo that the theory of South American cultures deriving from Mesoamerican cultures such as the Olmecs was disregarded, and that ancient Peruvian cultures developed locally. Teo managed to acquire some old textiles while in Peru which would lead him to make an incredible discovery on the Paracas Peninsula. Over 400 human bodies wrapped in carefully woven cloths at a place now referred to as the Great Paracas Necropolis. These bodies belonged to a culture which we now call the Paracas culture, and this culture would have been the contemporaries of the Chabin culture, and it appears that the two cultures had experience of each other. The astonishing thing about these textiles, apart from the fact that they show advanced weaving techniques and depict strange mythological creatures, is the fact that many vibrant colours were being created and thanks to dark and dry conditions these colours have been prevented from fading, demonstrating the skill of this culture in producing such work and such colours. The production of woven materials is something that the Paracas and Chabin cultures ultimately shared as well as gold working. We can also see ceramics being produced including dishes which would contain feline imagery possibly relating to the jaguar. The colours used on these dishes were vibrant once again and the artwork very geometric which is a style more readily attributed to the Greek cultures from the same period. The fact that there appears to have been no military evidence during the Chavian period makes it even more mysterious how it all came to an end. The prevailing theory is that the areas of Chavian influence simply fragmented and modernised into newer cultures depending on their respective geographical locations, and a rough date of around 200 BCE is suggested for the disappearance of the Chavian and Paracas cultures. Significance and autonomy. The Americas are the true test of the theory of whether human cultures of the prehistoric and ancient worlds developed through exchange of information or autonomously. Is it possible that the cultures of America learned their cultural aspects from another culture? My gut instinct is to say, no, it is not possible due to the seemingly impossible journey that global cultures would need to have made to make any kind of contact with each other. However, some Chinese scholars show much more positive interest than I do in the possibility of this happening. A 2015 article in the Peruvian newspaper El Comercio explores the theories of these Chinese scholars. One consideration is the choice of animals depicted on the artifacts. Birds, snakes and cats feature on both the cultures of the Shang dynasty of China and the Chevin culture of Peru. This might not be a very convincing argument. Now if you recall back in episode 30, we ultimately told the story of how the Shang dynasty of China was pushed aside by the Zhou dynasty in the late 2nd millennium BCE. The Shang prince Yin abandoned his lands and headed east, and it has been suggested that he took his army across the Pacific Ocean and arrived in time to influence the success of the Chavin culture. Those Chinese experts who claim that cultures such as the Chavin are descendants of the Shang dynasty of China, but this has upset some natives of the Americas who take pride in the autonomous development of cultural civilization in the Americas. Musical instruments, wattle and daub houses, pottery, metalworking, jade carving and artwork have all been cited as potentially culturally linked in this study. The metalworking is something that I would put forward as something that disproves the theory of cultural migration from Afro-Eurasia to the Americas. The Shang dynasty has one of the most advanced metal artifact production methods with their piece mould technique and yet the Chabin were using relatively archaic metalworking techniques. However, it really doesn't matter what I think compared to what you think. So I would really like to invite you all to voice your opinion on whether you believe that the societies of the Americas made significant advances thanks to contact and the sharing of ideas with people from Afro-Eurasia. Thank you very much for listening to this week's podcast. A fascinating study into a fascinating culture quite unlike any that we've stumbled across before. This hallucinogenic journey through the temple really is something fantastic. And there is a video, uh, a YouTube video from a documentary that was made, I believe, in the United States. I can't remember the gentleman's name, I, his name escapes me now, but I will find it and I will post it onto the website and, uh, and on the Facebook page so that you can sort of get some kind of idea as to what's actually going on with this cactus juice consumption and the effect that it has on people. It's absolutely amazing, really, to think that people would have... This assault on the senses, as I described it, is absolutely fascinating that people would have probably experienced this and just would have felt touched by a higher spirit or a higher presence. Fascinating stuff. Now, good news for all of you who enjoy the story of the Minoans. There is now a new video that has been produced by Nick Barksdale of the study of antiquity in the Middle Ages relating to the episode that we had on the Minoans. I believe that was episode 23. He's used some wonderful imagery. It's, an absolute, it's probably the most, the most attractive-looking video from my perspective in terms of the imagery, the natural imagery and the... Uh, the pictures of Canossus and other Minoan sites and it really sho- it actually shows the frescoes that were described as as a big feature of the Minoan episode so I would really strongly encourage you to go to the YouTube channel you can actually find it through the YouTube channel for the History of the World podcast but if you haven't subscribed to Nick Barksdale 's page The Study of Antiquity in the Middle Ages then subscribe to it now. And he did make a video of my late Bronze Age Collapse podcast, but he's also now done it for Ryan Stitt's uh Late Bronze Age Collapse and Trojan War podcast, which I recommended during my episodes. So Ryan Stitt is the uh, is the founder of the History of Ancient Greece podcast, which is also recommended and linked on my page. So There's a great number of resources. It shouldn't uh, begin and end with my work. Um, My work is purely there to introduce you to cultures that you may not have stumbled across before and perhaps you can look into more deeply. So if you're interested in ancient Greece, definitely highly recommend Ryan Stitt's History of Ancient Greece podcast. History of the World Podcast has a new patron who's now making monthly contributions to the upkeep of the podcast. His name is Kevin McFadden. Kevin, thank you very, very much for your contribution and it's a very valuable contribution as all of our patrons who make monthly contributions. You really do help me to keep the podcast going. There's expenses involved and um, it's great that you're supporting me and the podcast. So thank you very much, Kevin. You are now part of the History of the World podcast Illuminati. Now, if you want to become a part of the History of the World podcast Illuminati, you can do it for as little as $1 a month. And there are rewards if you go to the Patreon website, which is uh, linked through from the History of the World podcast website. There are rewards that you can earn through uh, monthly contributions. And unlike other Patreon Um, website uh, promotions we do it on accumulated basis so a lot of the uh, presence on uh, patreon they say you must make a monthly contribution not with us if you accumulate it over a length of time you can still qualify for these rewards you're not committed to making a large monthly contribution so please take a look at that consider it and uh, if not The other favour that you can do for the podcast is to rate and review us on your chosen podcast platform because then that exposes it to more people and potentially more sponsorship. So please do rate and review it. If you haven't done it already, go and do it now. It's uh, vital for the upkeep of the podcast. So thank you very much to everyone who does that. Now last month, um, Kevin McFadden was kind enough to send me a picture that he had um, taken, or or I think it must have been his wife who took it, of him standing in front of the Okotoks erratic which can be found in Canada, and it was one of the subjects of the Ice Ages podcast uh, way back in Volume 1, and I I think it may have been Episode 8, if I'm not mistaken, if my memory serves me correct, maybe episode 8, If forgive me if I'm wrong, but this was something that Kevin McFadden um, sent in, a picture, it's on the Facebook page if you want to go and take a look at it, it's, uh, he's, he's put, after discovering this excellent podcast a few weeks ago, I heard the part about the Okotoks erratic near Calgary, it just so happens that my wife and I are celebrating our 10th anniversary in Banth, so I dragged her off to see the Big Rock after our plane landed and she was a good sport so yeah well look I mean if, if you see the Okotoks erratic I'm sure it's breathtaking so I definitely think it was worth it and I definitely think your wife probably enjoyed it as well even though she might not have admitted it at the time I'm sure she has fond memories of visiting the Okotoks erratic so um, but likewise if anyone's got any pictures of anything that's been mentioned in the podcast that they want to send in please by all means do so I think the imagery Um, this is something that's lost in podcasting is the lack of imagery so this is where the social media pages can play a great part so if you've got a picture send it in and uh, we'll happily publish it now Gary Marshall sent me a link to an article of something that's been in the news this week in relation to human ancestry Uh, another discovery was made in Ethiopia of a 3.8 million year old skull that could Um, could help us to piece together the story of human evolution um, from that time period so we wait with bated breath to see the results of the expert analysis of that but it does look like it could be an ancestor of Lucy, the Australopithecus afarensis so uh, we wait and uh, hopefully more news about that down the line Thanks to Michael Poer who's um, reviewed and recommended the podcast um, on Facebook. He's put Collapse of the Bronze Age, which I found by accident was very interesting. Since then, I have caught up with Volume 1. Chris explains things very clearly with good humour, and he is quick to admit when he doesn't know the full story. Very refreshing. Listen, I'll, the amount of podcasts I knock out, the, you know, it is highly likely that I'm not going to know. Um, all the story especially compared to experts in the field so always bear that in mind I'm really just a bit of a messenger when it comes to these historical stories and my expertise is limited and um, this really is as I've mentioned previously a great podcast to open doors into a new field of study that you might be interested in so you may not have known anything about South American cultures and hopefully podcasts like this can really invite you to explore a new interest so um, that's really the purpose of it so thank you for the kind message michael so i'm always grateful to receive your recommendations and your messages so by all means go to the history of the world podcast website and have a click around there if you want to email me the email address is history of the world podcast at and you can um, mention anything you like there's discussion forums Uh, social media, there's quite a lot there that you can uh, get up to on the website nowadays. So just uh, go and take a visit, have a little click around and uh, get in touch, get in touch. Let me know what you think of the podcast, let me know what your opinions are about various things. I'll always read out all your messages as I'm very grateful for you sending them to me. Anyway, that's it for this week. We're going to go on to next week. We're going to stay in the Americas. I'm going to do a bit of an episode just because I believe that there is a good Healthy degree of interest um, in the early development of the Americas. So, I'm going to explore what was going on in the first sort of uh, the first phases of like post Neolithic development in the Americas. So, we're going to sort of find out what was going on elsewhere while the Olmecs and the Chabin were developing. We're going to try and bring our story up to around 500 BCE elsewhere in the Americas. So, that's for next week but for this week thank you very much for listening and we'll look forward to hooking up again in seven days time The History of the World podcast is available on many different podcast platforms so please don't forget to rate and review us wherever you find us visit our website at historyoftheworldpodcast.com and email us at History of the World podcast at mail.com Support the podcast at Patreon by clicking the support the podcast link at our website and join us on social media at Facebook, Twitter and Tumblr.